Well, recently, I've had a couple of experiences where I got the wrong response from the situation I was in and didn't expect it. One was on a phone call with the FedEx Claims Center. I recently experienced a, um, a, a bad business transaction on eBay, and um, I had paid the insurance to mail something. It was worth $400. And before I could claim the fraud side of it, I had to pursue the shipping side of it. So I called uh, FedEx and said, hey, I shipped this thing, but it was part of a scam. And so um, I, I want to confirm that, that the person did not actually receive it. It was stolen off their porch. And I start describing the, exp- the uh, experience to this, this woman on the phone. And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I thought she was going to start crying. And if she had 400 bucks in her pocket, she was going to give it to me. And, and she didn't want to hang up. I thought she, actually, I thought, oh, sweet person, you're not going to be in this job very long if that's how you're responding. <laughs> she had so much empathy. And I didn't expect that. I expected a bureaucratic response of, uh, we'll get to it when we get to it or whatever. The other one happened at Publix. And I was going through the checkout line, which is one of my favorite social experiment moments, right? When you go through the checkout line and they say, how's it going? The response is, good, thanks, how are you? And nothing else. And when they say, did you find everything you're looking for? The answer is yes. Because if you say no, you stop that whole line and they'll try and find it for you and the people behind you will get irritated. If you don't find it, just ask one of the people before you get in line. But so I'm, I'm in line and, and standard thing, how's it going, good, how are you, good. And then this guy goes, Did you do anything fun this weekend? (laughs) I was in my collar. It was right after church. And I I was, I didn't know what to say. I went, I went to church. (laughs) (laughs) And his his response was just so not what I expected when when I'm I'm checking out. And and unexpected responses or dumb responses, they just don't fit. It's like you're, you're at the airport and you're, you're giving them your luggage and they say, thank you, have a great flight. And you go, you too. <laughs> wrong, wrong response, right? So these are examples of bad responses. And I want to consider today what a good response is and what that looks like. In fact, I want to look at the concept of responsiveness. And I mean in the, in the category of faith. What does it mean to be a responsive person, responsive to God? And I'm opening a new four-week preaching focus today. We're still in Luke's gospel, so we'll continue through Luke's gospel in the lectionary readings. But the, the next four weeks seem to line up with this concept of praise. The, the posture of praise is what I'm calling the series, and that's the cover on the bulletin. And um, we're going to look at the different ways that people respond to God's grace. And today, specifically, it's the posture of praise is responsiveness. So I want to ask you, with regard to Christ— Does that word describe you? Are you responsive to Jesus? Are you someone who readily responds? And maybe I would even ask correctly responds, but we have to look at the text here to to see what that might look like. So turn with me to Luke's gospel, to our preaching text. It's Luke uh, 17, uh, beginning in verse 11. And I want to suggest that the Lord is kind to all, but not all respond. That was true then, and it's true today. The Lord is kind to all, but not all respond. So in this passage, we have Jesus traveling. 
He's going from up in the northern region uh, in Galilee down to Jerusalem. He's making now his march towards the cross. And in order to get there, he has to cross through Samaria. And he's done that a number of times. And the Samaritans were considered outsiders by the Jews. And he's walking right on the border of Galilee and Samaria. And not surprising, in that in-between zone, there is a colony of lepers, Lepers in the Bible were anyone who had a number of skin diseases that were contagious. Um, We could diagnose them and deal with them today, but back then they were not easily dealt with. And because they were so contagious, people who had one of these skin problems, they, they were forced to live outside of the towns. So here they are kind of in a border town, and it's sort of strange that there are 10 Jews and one Samaritan together. I guess they found a commonality in their ailment and being ostracized from the towns, and so they were all there together. And as Jesus goes by, they start crying out, Master Jesus, have mercy on us. By law, by the law of Leviticus, they were not allowed to be near people because of the danger that could cause to other people in making them get sick as well. So they stand off and they start shouting. And Jesus sends them to the priests to, to make the offering Moses commanded for healing. He is basically giving a promise of his willingness to heal them. And when they experience healing on the way, one of them turns around and comes back to Jesus. And Jesus' question is so interesting. It's a rhetorical question. Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the nine? See, Jesus expected a certain response, and he was surprised that he only got that response from a Samaritan and did not get it from the nine Jews. Where are the nine? Didn't I heal 10 people and only one has come back and a foreigner? So I want to dig into this passage. I want to explore it under two headings. The first one would be the grace of God. And then the second would be faith that saves. As you read through the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, you should always be looking for grace. It is so consistent in God's character. Undeserved gifts all the way from the very beginning to the very last page of the Bible. And if you get caught up on details and miss grace, you are not reading the scriptures right. So I want to point out just three things under the category of grace that I see in God's character here displayed in Christ. First of all, God's grace is seen in this, that Jesus gives everyone a chance, regardless of their neighbors, family, or what other people they know have done. He recently went through a town, a village in Samaria, and was rejected. And if you wanted to read about it, you can go back to Luke 9.52, just a couple of chapters before this. It says, um, when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, meaning on the cross, he set his face towards Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And, And it was such an offensive thing in those days, traveling was risky. And if, I mean, even recently in this storm, if someone came to you and was in need, you definitely help them. You don't say, uh, you know, I've only got enough power for my family, or I only, you, I only have enough water. You, you help them. It was dangerous to travel, and if somebody's coming through your town, you care for them. And it was so offensive what these Samaritans had done to Jesus' disciples that here's their response. It says, and when the disciple James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? (laughs) 
That's how offended they were, and also how presumptuous they were on God's judgment. Um, but Jesus doesn't hold that against this Samaritan in this group. He has mercy. He gives everyone a chance to respond. He's not saying, oh, you're one of those Samaritans. No grace for you. You're done. But no, he's kind to all. And he, he responds even though their neighbors didn't. It makes me think of the Gospel of John, which starts out describing how Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So Jesus gives everyone a chance. He doesn't exclude any categories, any people groups, any individual because of affiliations with others. He is, his grace is for all people. Second, Jesus hears desperate cries of mercy. They're standing out there saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They don't even ask for specifics. It's clear what they need. Have mercy on us. They're crying out of desperation. It's like a foxhole prayer. They're, they're in need. You know, as, as, these, as these winds were blowing, it made me think of a sailing book I have that describes something called the Beaufort Scale. Sir Francis Beaufort came up with this, this very precise way to describe the different types of winds as they get stronger. Nowadays, we just use the speed of the wind and we can measure it accurately. But in the 1800s, for the British Royal Navy, they'd fill in the logbook and what one person wrote didn't necessarily mean what another person thought. So this Beaufort scale describes everything from like a fresh breeze to a gale force wind to a hurricane. And I was reading through the chart, and in each one, there's a description of what it's like. You know, white caps that are long, or foam blowing off the top, or bigger waves, or whatever. In the description for the last one in this sailing book, it says, hurricane. It's saying, massive damage to structures and trees on shore, huge waves, catastrophic loss, likely. Start making promises to God you're not going to fulfill if you live. <laughs> That's what it says in the book. And I thought about that. That's the foxhole prayer, right? God, help me. I'm in need. Help me. And we pray like that. And here's the thing. God hears those prayers too. He hears those prayers too. All 10 were crying out, have mercy, and Jesus grants them mercy. And only one of them ends up being really thankful for it. The other nine keep going. And God is merciful anyway. That's who he is. So not only does he make his grace available to all, he hears even the most desperate prayers that are self-motivated prayers. A hint of your movement in his direction is all he needs to immediately respond. He's just always saying, come on, come to me, come to me. And the minute you step in that direction, even out of self-interest, even out of desperation, he's there with mercy. That's who God is. You can see it all the way through the scriptures. And a third thing, Jesus then provides opportunities for faith. Opportunities. So he says, go and show yourselves to the priests. That requires them to have a little bit of faith. They're going to, if they show up and they're covered with white leprous skin and say, Jesus said to come and, and, and they're not healed, that would be a mockery of them. But they believe that Jesus is able to heal them, and so they go in faith, trusting Jesus doesn't always just heal on the spot. Sometimes he invites people to do something. There's some, something required of us, of faith, because it grows our faith when we have to step out. They didn't have to respond this way. It did show that there was some faith there. There's an account in the Old Testament in 2 Kings 5 where a Syrian commander had a servant named Naaman, 
who was, also had leprosy, and they caught word that down in Israel there was a prophet who could heal. And so the, this uh, Syrian leader sends Naaman with all this money and all these gifts to the king of Israel and says, here's my servant Naaman, heal him of his leprosy. The king tears his clothes and he's distraught because he's like, who can heal except God? And then Elisha the prophet says, don't tear your clothes. This is so that they'll know there's a prophet in Israel. And so when he sees Naaman, he says, go to the Jordan River and dip yourself in it seven times and then you'll be clean. And Naaman's mad. He doesn't like, he doesn't like the Israelites. He doesn't like their river. He's saying there's a better river up in our town. Why do I have to go in this river? Why do I have to do it? His response was not one of faith. It was irritation. And these people in this passage, they go. They go to the priest expecting to be healed and they are healed. So Jesus provides this opportunity for them to express their faith. He does that for us as well in hundreds of ways. Not only that, but Jesus also is providing an opportunity for the priests. This in Luke's gospel is the second time someone with leprosy was healed by Jesus. Back earlier in chapter five of Luke, uh, he says, "Go, go to the priests and offer the offering commanded by Moses as a proof for them. So Jesus is providing a faith opportunity for the priests as well. When this leprosy colony of 10 people show up healed, and they say, Jesus healed us, and we're here for you to to inspect. The priests in those days were sort of like the, the public health people, the health inspector. And if they said, you're clean, then they were able to go back into society. But see, by showing up there and saying, Jesus healed us, was a faith opportunity for those priests. Who is this Jesus that can heal leprosy like this? It's an opportunity for them then to respond to Christ. So we see these things about God's grace. I'm sure if we spent more time in here, we could dig in and find other things, but God's grace is all through the scriptures because that's who he is. Now let's look at the faith that saves. I wanna point out two things about that, both from verse 15. In In verse 15, it says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Faith that saves gives thanks. It gives thanks. He he is as loud with his thanks as he was in his cry for mercy. And let me ask you this. We've experienced mercy this week from our Lord. I'll bet every single one of us watching that news forecast all day, we were praying, God, please keep that storm offshore. Please keep it offshore. Because we knew what was going to happen if that eye came onto shore because we saw what happened in Haiti. We knew how bad it was going to be. And we prayed, God, have mercy. God, have mercy. How many of us turned around and went, oh, God, thank you for being merciful? Or do we get caught up in the brush that was in our yard and all the trees and all the stuff that we were doing and forget to go back and say, God, thank you. Thank you. You answered our prayer. You were merciful to us. You helped us in our time of need. You are so good. Right? I wonder. I wonder how many of us are quick to give thanks. And then not only does faith that saves become thanks, faith that saves also generates praise. One of the first feelings that a person experiences when they realize God's grace for them to forgive their sin is a desire to worship him. It's what happens. When we realize that God has forgiven our sin, when we realize that that cross was ours and he took it in our place and he extends forgiveness and mercy to us, it is so dramatic that we suddenly want to praise him. How do I worship a God? How do I give thanks back to him? What can I do for you? 
God, you are so good. Great are you, Lord, as we sang. We want to praise. And it should be a yellow flag for us in our faith if we don't have a desire to worship. And I would suggest if we don't have a desire to worship, that we need to go back and look at his grace. We need to look at what he is doing for us and has done for us. A lack of worship is a yellow flag for us that maybe our faith is not saving faith. Maybe we're not giving him thanks. Maybe we're not paying attention to how good he is. It's an invitation to go back and look at the story again. Now, Jesus' response at the end of this is interesting. In verse 19, he says to this Samaritan, rise and go your way, for your faith has made you well. Literally, the Greek is, your faith has saved you. He says to 10 people, go and show yourselves to the priests and heals them. And they have enough faith to go and he heals them. But the one who is told his faith has saved is the one who comes back and thanks and prays. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. And it's really, it's that your faith is in Christ, the Savior. That's what saves. Jesus is incredibly gracious and merciful. Our Lord is good to us. And I want to encourage you to look again at the grace in this message, the undeserved gift and who he is, and then respond in faith. The posture of praise is a life of response. And that's actually what we're going to do now. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going we're to have a song that we're going to sing that's kind of a very easy one to catch on to. We're going to sing it before the prayers of the people these next four weeks, and we'll sing it through three times, and then we'll have our prayers of the people, and then we'll sing it through one more time after that. But let me pray before we go into that song. Lord, I do want to give you thanks for your mercy to us. I thank you for your grace, which is so prevalent in the scriptures in our lives. Thank you for the invitation to faith and to grow in our faith. Lord, I pray for each one of us today that you would help us see how good you are and that we would joyfully give you thanks and praise. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.